Jesus Christ coming for us. Hopefully tonight. That would be wonderful. First Peter chapter 4. Today we started under new management on this subject, under this topic. Under new management. And I pray that your life is demonstrating the fact that you're under new management. You have a Christ-like mind. First Peter chapter 4, verse number 1, down to verse number 6. <clears throat> Let's stand once again. You say, Pastor, you're up and down. You're almost as bad as the Catholics. No. First Peter chapter 4, verse number 1. We just want to show reverence to the Word of God. First Peter chapter 4, verse number 1. For as much then as Christ hath suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourself likewise with the same mind, for he that hath suffered in the flesh hath ceased from sin that he no longer should live in the rest of his time in the flesh to the lusts of men, but to the will of God. For the time past of our life may suffice us to have wrought the will of the Gentiles when we walked in lasciviousness, lusts, excess of wine, revelings, banquetings, and abominable idolatries, wherein they think it strange that you run not with them to the same excess of riot, speaking evil of you who shall give account to him that is ready to judge the quick and the dead. For for this cause was the gospel preached also to them that are dead, that they might be judged according to men in the flesh, but live according to God in the spirit. Let's pray. Father, tonight we do come before you and thank you for this precious portion of scripture that gives for us the importance of the, the truth of thy word to live for you, and Lord, I pray that our hearts and our lives would be willing to submit to your commands tonight. That Lord, whatever you say, we will do. And Lord, that Jesus Christ would be magnified. Father, we need you tonight. Our nation needs you tonight. I pray, God, that you would be merciful to us. We have sinned. Lord, we have de departed from thy truth so often in so many ways. Father, I pray that you would have mercy upon us, that, Lord, your face would shine again upon us once again, that we might repent and we might turn from our ways, and, Lord, that we'd see your hand upon this nation. Lord, I pray if there's one without Christ tonight, they would be saved. Well, thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. We saw this morning as we were looking under new management, having a Christ-like mind, we are to, to have that mind uh, like Jesus Christ had. He said we're to arm ourselves likewise with the same mind that uh, Christ, he suffered in the flesh. Christ did not die in sin, nor did he die under sin, but he died to sin. He took our place and he paid the penalty for our sin. We, we as Christians are to arm ourselves, we're to have the same mindset. We are crucified with Christ, as Paul said in Galatians 2.20. Nevertheless, we live, yet not that not I, but Christ liveth in, in us. Christ's life should be seen. That's the life that you and I, that we need to have in our life and uh, that we would you know, live that life for Jesus Christ. And we talked about the fact in verse number two about uh, the, the purpose, if you would. Um, there was a reason for being released from our sin. And that was that uh, we find in verse number two, that he would no longer should live the rest of his time in flesh to the lust of men, but to the will of God. You and I were to live for the honor and the glory of the Lord. 
When was the last time you asked yourself, I wonder what God would think about this situation? See, our life is to be lived for Christ. Our life is to bring glory to God the Father. But you know, for many Christians, God's will for their life is the last thing on their mind. The story is told of an old Scottish woman who went from home to home across the countryside and she was selling her thread and her button and, and uh, shoestrings. And when she'd come to a road that was unmarked and it, she had a choice to go to the right or to the left and she didn't know which direction she should go, she would take a stick and she'd throw a, the stick up in the air and where it, when the stick came down and if it pointed in a particular road, that was the road she decided was the one she wanted to take. Uh, or she, she should take. Well, one day she went, came to a fork in the road and uh, she came to that fork and she's trying to decide whether to go to the right or go to the left and she threw the stick up and then she threw the stick up and then she threw the stick up and then she threw the stick up. Somebody was watching her. The stick would come down and uh, she, uh, she, this person was watching this lady throw this stick because she was known for making these decisions by throwing this stick up. And they said, so why are you throwing your stick up so many times? You usually just throw it up once, and if it points that way, that's the way you go. And she just said this. She says, because it's pointing to the left, and I want to go to the right. And so she kept throwing her stick up until it finally pointed to the right. And said, oh, now I'm ready to go. Uh, folks, you know, that's how Christians are sometimes. This is the way I'm I want to go. This is the way that I'm going to go. If we're truly saved, may I share with you that God's will for our life ought to be the forefront of our life. It ought to be the center of our thoughts. What is going to please the Lord? How can I live to bring praise and honor to the Lord? What is going to bring the glory to Him? Romans chapter 12, verse number 1 and 2. Go back there with me if you would. Romans chapter 12, verse number 1 and 2. The Apostle Paul is speaking to the Roman believers. And I think it's so important, so significant for us to understand as we look at this. He's not talking to lost people. He's talking to people who claim to know the Lord as their Savior. And as we look at it, it kind of gives us a, a sense of really where people are today. Here in Romans chapter 12, verse number 1, Paul says, I beseech you, I beg you, I implore you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service, and be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. God says as our mind is renewed, and the way our mind is renewed is by taking the word of God and hiding God's word in our heart. As we hide God's word in our heart, it helps us to think God's thoughts after him. When we memorize the word of God, it's there and it, it replays. You remember if I were to say something like Psalm 23, uh, how many have memorized Psalm 23? You, you went over it. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. See, you know, someplace along the line, you heard that so many times or you memorized that and it became uh, stuck in your mind and in fact, that's the, that psalm is one of the great psalms that people love to hear. It brings much comfort. It also brings much, uh, much conviction sometimes. He makes us to lie down sometimes. You say, well, Pastor, what, what conviction is that? Well, we're going about doing our, our, 
our life and doing what we want to do and li live our life, and all of a sudden God puts you flat on your back. And you can't do anything else. He makes you to lie down. You say, but pastor, I've got a million and one things to do. I don't have to lie down. I don't have time to lie down. Yes, you do. Apparently you must, because God knows that you need to lie down. Uh, we've all been there. We've all gone through those times. But that shows a good shepherd. He knows when we get run to the, the end. He makes us to lie down in green pastures. He leads us beside the still waters. He restores our soul. Isn't that wonderful? You know, our mind, our emotion, our will, that's our soul. He can restore your soul. You say, Pastor, I've seen some stuff and I've gone through stuff that's, that's been very horrible in my mind. I wish I'd never gone through it. Can I tell you something? There is an answer for it. There is some help. And our help is in the Lord. He can restore your soul. He can wash that junk out of your mind. He can help you to deal with those things. That's why he says that we're not to be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of our mind. You are clean through the word, Jesus said, which I have spoken unto you. As the word of God, it washes through our mind those wonderful words. This, the words of this book, it's, this book is not like any other book. This is the word of God. It can wash your mind. It can help you. It can soothe you. It can encourage you. It can challenge you. 1 Thessalonians 5.21 says, We're to prove all things. Hold fast to that which is good. You and I, we're to, we're to test the things that come our way to see if it's something that God would have us to listen to, if it's something that God would have us to, to take into our heart, if it's something that, that the Bible says this is evil, we shouldn't go that direction, so then we need to stay away from it, we need to flee, we need to go the opposite direction. Here, the Bible says we're to prove all things, hold fast to that which is good. The Word of God tells us in 1 John, turn over there to verse, chapter 2, verse 15. 1 John chapter 2 and verse 15. God tells us some things so that it will not hurt, uh, it, will, it will protect us and keep us from, from evil and from hard things in our life. If you ignore what God says, you're headed for trouble. Amen? If you're, if you're going down a direction and God says don't go, you're headed for trouble. Here, the Bible says in 1 John chapter 2, verse 15, love not the world. Don't love the world's system. Don't love what the world is saying. Don't go that direction. You say, well, pastor, as we've said before, abortion is okay. People, the world says it's okay. Using marijuana is okay. That's, you know, that the, the world is saying that. But may I share with you, what does the Bible say as we saw this morning? Your body is the temple of the living God. The principles of God override the principles of man. We ought to obey the leadership of, of the world, but when it conflicts with the laws of God, we ought to obey God rather than men. And I think we're getting closer and closer to the time when we're going to have to stand up and be counted in that arena. We are seeing it. And folks, may I share with you, we need to get this stuff settled in our heart now while there's still some time. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. If I love the world and I'm embracing all the, the uh, transgender and the homosexual stuff and all that, if I'm embracing all that, I'm going against what the commandments of God have said. And God says, let me just tell you, His love is not in you. He's telling you in a nice way, you're not safe. 
As a Christian, your mindset and our, and our mind and our life ought to be centered upon the Lord Jesus Christ. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passeth away, and the lust thereof, but he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. Jesus said in, in Matthew chapter 7, Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of the Father. Folks, when God gives a command, he expects us to fulfill it. You say, well, Pastor, I, I, don't, always, I don't always do you know, what God says to do. I, I fail in that way. Godliness is a direction. It's not a once-for-all act. Do you understand what I'm saying? Godliness is a direction. We are going to, uh, as we go and as we live in this life, as long as we're in this flesh, there's going to be this battle of the flesh versus the Spirit of God at, at work in our life. And we need to yield to the Spirit. If we follow and yield to the Spirit of God, we will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Before, as we said this morning, before we were saved, we had no choice. We were enchained, bound by sin. We did what, the, what, the, what our old sin nature wanted to do. But when we got saved, God set us free. And now we have a choice. Praise God for the choice. You say, Pastor, I wish you would just make me so all I can do is righteousness. Wouldn't that be great? It's coming. We have been saved from the penalty of sin. We are being saved from the power of sin as we yield to the Spirit of God. And one day we'll be saved from the very presence of sin. That's what I'm looking forward to. But now, right now, God can give us power over that old sin nature because he has set us free. And so as we understand that, as we apply those principles in our life, we're to live this new life in godliness. I want to live for God. I want to do what God says. I want to do that which is pleasing to him. I want what he says for the direction of my life. And that's where you and I, we are, where we must be in our thinking. Jesus' life was set on doing his Father's will. In John 4, 34, Jesus said unto them, My meat is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish his work. Jesus said, My meat, the, my direction, what I'm supposed to do is to fulfill the, the Father's will. That's what I'm all about. In John chapter 6, verse 38, he, Jesus said, For I came down from heaven not to do mine own will, but the will of him that sent me. Jesus said, as the Father has sent me, so send I you. Your life is to be just like his life. To live for the glory of the Father and for the glory of Jesus Christ. Let me ask you today, are you living in to please your own fleshly cravings or are you striving to please the Lord with your life? Good question for us to ask ourselves. How is my life going? As people look at my life, do they see me living to please God and please the things, uh, what God says to do? Is that what my life is all about? Or is my life filled with me? Notice as we look back at, at 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 3 and 4, we notice that there's a change which is noticed. There's a change which is noticed in verse 3 and verse 4. He says, for the time past of our life may suffice us to have wrought the will of the Gentiles when we walked in lasciviousness, lust, excess, excessive wine, revelings, banquetings, and abominable idolatries, wherein they think it strange that you run not with them to the same excess of riot 
speaking evil of you. You know, when a person receives Jesus as their Savior, a change takes place in their life. It just does. We've said first, uh, uh, 2 Corinthians 5, 17, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And it's the idea, as I've said so many times, that I, God says all things are becoming new. Our life is changing. And as a Christian, you ought to be changing. You ought to be changing more like the Lord Jesus Christ every day. Look at Philippians chapter 1, verse 6. This is a great verse for us as Christians. Philippians 1, verse 6. Paul says this, Philippians 1, 6, being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. When you got saved, when you asked Jesus Christ to be your Savior, the Lord began a good work in you. A good work in you. Isn't that amazing? You say, oh, Pastor, I don't see anything really super good in me. But may I tell you, God says, I began a good work. It's kind of the picture, if you would, of a potter working with some clay on the wheel. And he begins to work, and he begins to fashion, begins to shape you. And uh, as you go through the things of life, uh, God is trying to mold you into the image of his son. Look at Romans chapter 8 and verse number 29. Romans chapter 8, verse number 29. We love Romans 8, 28, and we know all things work together for good to them that love God and to them that, who are the called according to his purpose. I know that unsaved people like to quote this verse, and we know that all things work together for good. <laughs> well, you can't stop there. You've got to complete the verse. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God. If you hate God, can I tell you something? The things that are coming your way are not necessarily coming uh, to work out for good for you. Because sometimes God has to chasten us we don't love God. We love, we love ourselves. We love the things of God. God has to chasten us sometimes. And here it says, to them who are the called according to his purpose. But notice verse 29. For whom he did foreknow, he knew all of us. He knows your strengths, your weaknesses. He knows all about you. He knows what you do in the secret. He knows what you do out in public. He knows everything. He knows your thoughts afar off as he does mine. It says, for whom he did foreknow, he did also, notice, he did also predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son. You know, we hear today, some people have heard about predestination. And so, what, you say, well, pastor, what is that about? Well, predestination, some people believe in predestination. God has determined some people to be saved, some people to be lost. And it doesn't matter if, you're, if, you're, if he's predetermined you to be lost, it doesn't matter what happens, you'll never be saved. Well, we've got some problems with the scripture. God says, whosoever will may come. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Every one of us have an, oppor have an opportunity, have, a, have, a, have a, the, the, the uh, opportunity to receive, to respond to the gospel of Jesus Christ. But there are some who say, you know what? I don't want him. I don't want your love, God. I want to live my life my way. I think I can go to heaven on my religion. I can go to heaven by my grandma and grandpa. That's what some people, they trust in. But I submit to you, it's not based upon uh, your good works. It's not based upon your heritage. It's based upon 
you making a decision for Jesus Christ. So we're, but if we read this verse, it says, for he also did predestinate, notice, not to be saved or lost, but to be conformed to the image of his son. God had a predetermined plan. Before you were saved, God had a plan for you, as he did for me. To be conformed to the image of his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Go with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 3. The apostle Paul talks about it there in that portion as well. God's predetermined plan. So what's God's plan for my life? Uh, to be conformed to the, the image of his son, Jesus Christ. Well, you know, pastor, I've got this, tech, this, this ability and this, I, I have this uh, education stuff. What's God's plan for my life? Well, there's a broad plan that God says, you know what? His plan for every Christian, every believer, no matter who we are, is to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. That's his predetermined plan. Now look what it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse number 17. Now the Lord is that spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we all, with open face, beholding as in a glass, the glory of the Lord. You know, when you got up this morning and looked in the mirror, you thought, man, I'm going to have to do some work on this thing. You know, I have to shave it, I'm going to have to comb it, I'm going to have to, you know, put some makeup on it, and I'm going to have to do all these type of things. But when you look, this issue here is we're looking into this glass, really we're looking into a mirror, and it does not behold our face, it beholds the face of the Lord. Look what it says. Now we all, with open face, beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord. Imagine seeing the face of the Lord in the mirror. It's a picture. He says, and are changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. See, we have a picture. We have, a, we have there a, a mirror. We have the, the face of the Lord Jesus Christ. You say, well, it's not my face. Ah, you got it. Your face is not the one that people need to see. It's the face of Jesus Christ. You and I are to be conformed into his image. And the Holy Spirit, he goes and he changes and he, he uh, uh, works in us and he knocks off the rough edges and he works on making our face, who we are, into that image right there. Have you ever known somebody who has made this statement? I will never be like my mother. Ever heard anybody say that? Say, Pastor, that was me. Say, man, my mother was a screamer, my mother was mean, my mother was whatever. And the more that they look at their mother and that situation, the more they focus their attention and their thoughts, as time goes on, you know what happens? They become transformed into that same person. Why? Because they're thinking how that person behaved instead of replacing that thinking with the right thinking. Their focus is upon that person, and they become just like that person. See, folks, you can't say, I'm not going to become like that person unless you change your thinking. Just to say it doesn't mean it. Because our mind will go back to all the hurts, all the things that have been done that were wrong. They will replay over and over and over in our mind. And so when we think about Jesus Christ, 
How can I be transformed to be like Jesus? You know one of the ways of doing it? It's by reading this book about Jesus. How Jesus behaved in different situations. Jesus went all, went all the Bible says that he went about doing good. What am I supposed to do? Go about doing good. Uh, how about loving others? Jesus, you know, 1 John 4, 7 and 8. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone loveth is born of God and knoweth God. He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. Jesus, when you saw Jesus, you saw a person who loved others. I don't want to be like that. Well, then you need to start putting this in your mind because your life is to be transformed to be like Jesus Christ. So what, is, what, what will please God? By following his commandments. By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, that you have love one for another. How do people know that we're following Jesus? By the way that we love one another. That's why it's so important on what we say and how we say it. Those mean things that like to come out of our mouth sometimes. Hey, we need to be careful about those things. Do they reflect the Lord Jesus Christ? Let your speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt. Not everyone, everything that we think in our mind should come out of our mouth. Amen? There are some things you just need to zip the lip. Because, you know, some people just let that thing flap. And all of a sudden, things come out that you regret. You say, folks, can I tell you something? We all have that problem, no matter who we are. So we need to understand, God's for God's glory is to, is, is to uh, be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. Lord, I want to be more like him. I want to think more like him. I want to act more like him. That is the center of his will for us. Before we were saved, we lived according to our fleshly desires. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 2 and verse number 1. There in 1 Peter 4, talked about that a little bit. But in 1 Peter, excuse me, 1, excuse me, Ephesians 2, chapter 2 and verse number 1, look what it says. And you hath he, the Lord Jesus, quickened, made alive, who were dead in trespasses and sins. Before we were saved, we were dead. We were shut off toward God. We didn't have a relationship toward God. Wherein in time past ye walked according to the course of of this world. You know, this world has a course. Well, you know, we, we uh, come into this world. Uh, we learn to live for ourselves. Uh, you know, we work hard. And you have uh, two cars in every garage and, and, and a chicken in every pot. Is, you know, remember the old saying? Uh, that was the American dream and, and have, have all those things. Uh, we live according to the course of this world. We follow the direction of the world, what the world thinks and what the world thinks is, is right. Uh, you know, you have your rights. You have your, your, uh, uh, the, you have your, the things that you need and you want. You just take them. That's the course of this world. It's what we, that's what we're being taught now. According to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that, uh, that worketh in the children of disobedience, that's Satan. That's how we used to live. We used to live according to what Satan wanted us to do. Lie, cheat, steal, anything's okay. In verse number three, he says this, among whom also we all had our conversation in times past, 
in the lusts of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath. Before we were saved, we were the children of wrath. God says we are under his wrath. It was by his mercy that he didn't pour out his wrath on us at any time. It was his mercy. God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. If we don't believe in Jesus, the wrath of God abideth on us. But praise God when we get saved. That wrath has been taken care of by the blood of Jesus Christ. How wonderful. But that old life before we were saved, when we walked in it, as 1 Peter 4, 3 says, look back there to 1 Peter 4, verse 3. When we walked in that, that uh, old life before we got saved, he gives us a few things here. He says, For the time past of our life may suffice us to have wrought the will of the Gentiles, to walk like Gentiles, in other words, the lost people, the unsaved, when we, were, when we walked in lasciviousness, lasciviousness is unbridled lust or passion. Man, there is no control. Have you ever seen a horse who hasn't had a, a bridle put on him? Boy, they are just wild. In fact, when they put that bridle on them, boy, they don't like that bridle on them at the first. The horse has to get used to that bridle. And uh, I've learned from some people that have... Um, that have worked with horses, they have different types of bridles to do different types of things with the horse. You got some horses that, you know, they, they're pretty well halter broke and they can kind of lead them around, but there's some that are pretty spirited and they have to have little uh, things in the bridle that, that kind of stick and get their attention uh, to bring them under control. Well, before we were saved, guess what? lasciviousness, unbridled lust. I'm just going to go this direction and nothing is going to change me. That's exactly what he's talking about. Unbridled lust. Uh, passion, desire. Boy, I tell you what, this is, I'm going to live for, for uh, uh, things. I'm going to live for a, a, a big motorhome. I'm going to live for a, a, big, uh, uh, a big house. I'm going to live for uh, cars, and I'm going to live. My life is all about things, and my life is all about what I want. Unbridled, no holding back. That's old life. That's what he says. Notice not only uh, lasciviousness, but lust. That word lust includes many things, lusting after things in the flesh. Merriam Webster uh, defines lust as an intense or unbridled sexual desire. The Oxford Dictionaries says a strong se a sexual desire, a passion or desire for something. Someone else has said that lust is the desire for that which is forbidden. Lust can be either good or bad. We can lust after good things. We can have a passion after good things. That's usually not where people's passions are, though. Many times their passion is after the things that God says don't do. Have you ever noticed when God says don't, your flesh says, I wonder what it is. Our flesh is that way. When God says don't, when God told Eve and Adam, don't eat of that tree of the knowledge of good and evil, there was, and the devil came and tempted them, tempted her, she says, I, you know, that, that kind of looks kind of good. I, I think, you know, I should try that. Folks, that's exactly when you deal with this idea of lusts. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the 
eyes and the pride of life. That's what this world's all about. You can put all the sins of the world in one of those three categories. All the things that are in the world. Notice what he goes on to say also, not only lust, but excess, excess of, uh, uh, of wine. You know what that is? That's drunkenness. You say, well, pastor, you know, you can have wine then, just, you just can't have an excess. Well, I submit to you, if you keep on uh, going, you're going to experience some things here. Uh, we could go through a long dissertation about the issue of wine tonight. We're not going to. But the uh, Bible says in Proverbs 20, verse 1, wine is a mocker, strong drink is raging, and whosoever is deceived thereby is not wise. We're not to be unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. What is the will of the Lord for us? And so as we, as we stop and as we look at this, this excessive wine, we're not to let wine be the, the controller of our life. Notice, and revelings. You say, what is revelings? Well, it's riding, drunken, uh, drinking parties, uh, like the Mardi Gras. Uh, can I share with you? It's like the Bitterroot Brewfest in Hamilton, and even in Stevensville when they have it. Well, pastor, it's just, you know, we're getting together. You know, these towns in Montana, they've got a whole bunch of towns, and all they've got is bars and casinos. People get drunk or they lose all their money in the casinos. Gambling. Well, God says, you know what? That was the old life. That's the old life. I've shared with you before, I've gone into Super 1, and it's amazing when I see some people in, that have come to the church at different times, and, and they'll, have, you know, they'll have their cart there, and I'll, be, I'll come up and walk behind them, and then I'll just, you know, I'm not particularly caring what they're, what they're doing, but it's amazing how all of a sudden they start stacking stuff on top of stuff when I'm right behind them. And they'll have that beer or that wine or, or the whiskey or whatever. They'll have that and they'll just try to kind of hide it. Can I share with you? That's the old way of life. Can I tell you who sees it? It's not, don't worry about pastor as much as you need to worry about God. Because God says that, that's the old way of life. That old reveling, that, 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 uh, that riotous drinking, the banquetings, that, uh, that is carousing. A.T. Robertson uh, says, uh, in the New his New Testament word study, he says, this is an old word for drinking carousal. The word uh, pino, to drink, is used only here in the, uh, here in the U United States, in the New Testament. In the light of these words, it seems strange to find modern Christians justifying their personal liberty to drink and carouse. But you know what? That, you've got a lot of Christians. That's exactly right. Well, pastor, I just have a social drink. God says, don't. God says, that's the old life. Why are you going in that old life, the old direction? And then he mentions one other thing here. He mentions abominable uh, idolatries. People worshiping all sorts of idols in that day. You know, the Bible declares that the love of money is the root of all evil. In 1 Timothy 6.10, and Colossians 3.5 says, covetousness, which is idolatry. I want what they've got. You know, Jesus set us free from sin and, he be and begins to change those who know him. The song that we, the kids sing is, the things I used to do don't do them anymore. There's been a great change since I've been born again. You know, it's great to be saved as a child. You don't have to go through all the stuff that parents have gone through 
and up to that point, and then all of a sudden learn that, you know what, all that stuff is wrong, and you have to start putting that stuff aside. You can learn the right things at an early age. You know what I find, though? It's kind of interesting. Young people, when they say they live in a Christian home, and they go through all this, and they say, well, you know what? My mom and my dad were pretty strict on me. I think that the fun was out there doing those things that they told me it was not supposed to do. Can I tell you something? So then they go and they get out of mom's and dad's house then they go out into the world and they try that stuff. And the reason why mom and dad told you not to do it, two reasons. Number one, because God says so. But sometimes it's because mom and dad already experienced that stuff and know that it's the wrong way to go. And they don't want you to sorrow and go through the struggle and the heartache that they went through. May I share with you that as we look here in this idea, the world looks at, this is the direction of the world, but the lost will notice a change when you're living for Jesus Christ. When your talk and your walk match up. Look at verse number 4. He says, wherein they think it's strange that you run not with them to the same excess of riot, speaking evil of you. They think it's strange. They're shocked. You know, before you got saved, you used to do all that stuff. You ought, you ought, to, you ought to, you know, you went to those places that, you, that, you know, the casinos and the drinking and, and ran around with the wicked friends. And, and you did all that stuff before you got saved. But when a person gets saved, they don't hang around the bars any longer. They don't, they don't hang around the casinos and, the, and gambling. They don't watch the filthy shows, in town, uh, shows on TV. Philippians 4.8, whatsoever things are true and honest and pure and lovely and of a good report, there be any virtue, there be any praise, think on these things. That becomes the guide now of their life and their thinking begins to change. The lost will call you weird. They'll think that uh, something strange has happened to you. The Bible says they're going to speak evil of you. Let me ask you, does the world look at you and think of you as being strange? You say, well, pastor, they think I'm strange anyway because of the way I act. No, 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 I'm not talking about acting goofy. I'm talking about because you're taking a stand for the Lord of righteousness and doing that which is right. Can I share with you that it's okay when the world looks at you and they think you're strange because you're standing up for the Lord Jesus Christ. Look at, uh, look at 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 12. It says, Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trials which is to try you as though some strange thing happened unto you, but rejoice inasmuch as ye are partakers of Christ's suffering that when his glory shall be revealed ye may be glad with exceeding joy if ye be reproached for the name of Christ. Happy are ye, for the spirit of glory and of God resteth upon you. On their part, he is evil spoken of. That's the lost world. Oh, you're just a religious fanatic. You're just one of those do-gooders. Praise God. Got that. You hear people say today, oh, you're that, that, that uh, right-wing Christian extremist, all that... I, I, am a, I am right. I go to the cross and I kept right. That's what I want to do. Uh, I, I believe in this Bible. I believe in the old values of truth and righteousness. Folks, 
standing in this day, people will say all sorts of evil things. We are hearing it said about people who stand upon the truth. On, on your part, he is evil spoken of. You people are, are just trying to control us. No, we're trying to live righteously. We're trying to be a light and salt as our God has commanded. But notice what he goes on to say. On your, por- on your part, he is glorified. When you stand for Jesus and you stand for truth and right, can I tell you something? Jesus is glorified. It's not always popular. Sometimes you stand alone. You stand alone from your friends. Sometimes your friends, they want to go a wrong direction. You say, nope, that's not what I'm going to do. Why? Because Jesus says in his word that I'm not supposed to do that. Well, you know what? Who will ever know? God knows. Folks, may I share with you that our God sees all. He sees it all. The lost will call us weird and and think something strange happened to you. But it shows that we're under new management. I want you to see the third thing, and that it's important as we look at verse 5 and 6. There's a confident living. Go there to 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse number 5. Notice what it says. Who shall give an account to him that is ready to judge the quick and the, and the dead? For for this cause was the gospel preached also to them that are dead, that they might be judged according to men in the flesh, but live according to God in the Spirit. Everyone will give an account of his life to the Lord, the Bible says. We must all stand before the judgment seat of Christ as Christians and give an account. 2 Corinthians 5.10 says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body, according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. The lost will stand before God and give an account as well. Revelation chapter 20. Go over there with me to Revelation chapter 20. Revelation chapter 20. This time period of which we are looking at comes after the tribulation period, after the millennial reign of Christ, after, uh, after that, that thousand years once Satan has been bound, he's going to be loosed to go and to try to deceive the world once again, and he's going to finally be cast into the lake of fire, praise God. That's going to be the end of him. But we come down to verse number 11, he says, And I saw a great white throne, and him that sat upon it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was no, found no place for them. And I saw the, the dead, small and great, stand before God. And the books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and hell, hell, those people that are in hell today, are going to one day stand before Jesus Christ. The Bible says in John chapter 5, that in verse number 20, I believe it is, that, that all judgment has been given to the Son. Jesus Christ is going to be the judge. Could you imagine? The one sitting on the throne is the Lamb of God who was slain. It's not fair. You shouldn't judge me that I didn't have a chance. <laughs> and there they're going to see the nail prints and the spear that had been stuck in his side. They'll look on him whom they have pierced. And he's going to be the judge. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them, and 
And they were judged, every man according to their works. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life is cast into the lake of fire. The lost are going to stand before the Lord at the great white throne judgment. They're going to give an account of their life. Nobody's going to be exempt. Heard some people say, well, you know what? I'm just not going to show up. No choice. You're not going to hide from God. You will stand and give an account. Every knee shall bow. Every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So what is the reason that the gospel is preached? What's the reason? Why do we preach the gospel? Why do we go out and go try to win people to the Christ? Why do we take the gospel to our community? I was thinking about that the other day. It's interesting, you know, in so many churches, they don't go out and take the gospel to the community. They wait for the community to come and hear the gospel in church. But Jesus said we're to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Mark 16, 15. What if some do not believe? Does their unbelief make the truth of God of none effect? God forbid. Yea, let God be true and every man a liar. People can hear the gospel and reject the gospel. It doesn't change the truth that there is a gospel. Jesus died for our sins according to the scriptures. He was buried and rose again the third day. So what's the purpose of the gospel? Why is the gospel preached? We find it in verse number 6. It says, for, for, for this cause was the gospel preached also to them that are dead. And when we look at that word dead, there's two different views on that word dead. Some believe it's dead spiritually. We read earlier in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1, we are all dead in our trespasses and sins. But some people look at this as being martyrs, those who, have been, those who have been martyred for their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Why was the gospel preached to them that are dead? Why did, they, why did that go through that, uh, the, the gospel being preached to them? That they might be judged according to men in the flesh, but live according to God in the Spirit. Folks, we're to live for the Lord. We're to live as an example and as a witness for God. We're to live as a light for Jesus. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. That's why the gospel's been preached. And you are the only Bible that some people are ever going to read. Your life is the message. It's the billboard. You know, I've seen some of the commercials that they've been offering for different, uh, different companies, and they say, well, you know what? You can come and get tattooed, or you can get your hair cut in a certain, certain way and be a, a billboard for a particular company, and so as you're, they'll pay you to do that. I'm thinking, you know, for the rest of your life, you're going to have some goofy thing on your, on your head or something like that because you've been marked for those people because you're a billboard for them. Hey, let's be a billboard for Jesus Christ. The Bible says we're known and read of all men. Your life is read. The gospel is the power of God into salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Those who are believers are, to put, are put under a watchful eye by the lost. The Bible says, as it talks about here in that verse number 6, it says that they might be judged according to men in the flesh, 
you know what? When you get saved and you say, I'm a Christian, all of a sudden the world starts looking at you. When you get angry, you get upset, and they say something like this, oh, you call yourself a Christian? You know, the unsaved have a, have a stronger, uh, stronger mindset about how a Christian should be than Christians do. Uh, you don't go to the bars and nightclubs like you used to? Oh, you're an old fuddy-duddy. You're no fun anymore. Praise the Lord. Don't give in. The Christian is to live not according to the world, but according to the Spirit of God. That's what he says in the last part of verse number 6. But live according to God in the Spirit. We're to live according to God. Tonight, as we conclude, can the world tell that you're under new management? Is your life marked by a walk of holiness, keeping away from sin and the appearance of sin? Do you stand out as a light for Jesus? Or do you hide your light under a bushel? Well, I'm a Christian. Pastor, I'm a SS Christian. You say, what's an SS? Secret saint. People don't know you're a Christian because you don't tell them. Well, Pastor, I just smile a lot. Well, mannequins smile too. Mannequins are not Christians. Just because you smile doesn't mean that you're saved. Why not let your light shine for Jesus this week? Let people know that you're under new management. Hey, he's set us free. He set us free. He's given us all things that pertain to life and godliness. He's given us, he's given you what you need to be an example of Jesus Christ. He's working in you. His Spirit is doing that work. We're being changed from glory to glory, and one day we'll be with Him and like Him, for we shall see Him as He is. Oh, isn't that going to be an awesome day? I'm looking forward to that. How about you? Let's pray. Father, how wonderful it is to consider these great principles tonight. Father, I pray that we would live as if we're under new men.